0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
3: So, still a bit difficult to place this City team at the moment, though it's understandable that the mood was a little downbeat after Saturday's 2-0 defeat at Tottenham. Even a 1-0 away win at Olympiacos wasn't enough to lift the spirits because it seems like City's biggest problem at the moment is that it's just not really that fun. Chances are at a premium, goals are even rarer at the moment, so what is going wrong? Welcome to today's Blue Moon Podcast, where the aim of today's show is to try and work all of that out. Is it a style of play issue? Are the players all knackered from a congested calendar and no pre-season? Has Pep Guardiola's influence worn off in his fifth season? Or do they just need the wingers back on their natural sides? Also in this week's show, we'll hear from City's former assistant manager Mark Bowen, Howard Hawking blows off some steam, and we'll have a look at the coming games with Burnley and Porto. I'm David Mooney, and with me this week, I'm joined by City fan and YouTube sensation, it's Stephen (laughs) McInerney. Sensation! Yes. All right, Mum. <laughs> Cheers for that, man. Halcombe, uh, good to be here. And uh, not a City fan, but still box
4: office
2: at the Manchester Evening News. Simon Bakowski.
4: You're too kind. Thank you
1: very much.
2: <laughs> uh, are you both well? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. And happy to be here and just uh, just cracking on. You know, this is something to do for the day, so it's quite nice. You know. <laughs> well, Simon, we've dropped yeah, you away from work, so
3: you're
4: all right, aren't you? It's a day off, actually.
3: Oh, so I've, I've dragged you into work for today. There we go. Um, yes. Even, yeah, even yeah. better. Even better. Well, before we start, uh, Simon, I've got a bone to pick with you because um, uh, you, knowing that you were coming on the show this week, uh, you texted me about, what, half four on Wednesday uh, to say, some, uh, I'm gonna, I never like making texts private texts public, but I'm going to do it on this occasion because it said, and I'm, I'm going to read it exactly, someone from my school is on tipping point, so I might not watch the game tonight if that's all right. Cheers. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Explain yourself, yeah. right? Um Well, I mean, I think i explained it one, to be honest, right? there <laughs> one was uh, round objects moving back and forth without much excitement, and the other was the other an game show. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd like. I mean, first off, did you did the guy from school do any did, do well?
4: Uh, he got he was he got to the final, but then he he couldn't get there. The prize. I, I should point out, me and you have a long-running beef whereby <laughs> I think that Tipping Point is the best game show ever, and you think it's the worst.
2: It's, Can I just interrupt? I've never even heard of it.
3: Well, it's oh, okay. okay. Uh, that, that's okay because we have a lot of American listeners who there's a chance that they're going to be thinking this is just a bit odd. Um, <laughs> yes, it's I don't even yeah. know. Like, I don't even know if Americans know the concept of a two and a 10 p machine. You know, like like. Oh, if, is it is about know, 10p yeah. machines? Well, well when, a, when yeah, you, yeah. When you think of, of like Las Vegas and gambling, you think like one-armed bandits, you know uh, roulette machines, blackjack, poker, all that sort of exciting stuff. And
2: this is genu- genuinely a game show based on the 2P machines you get at the, <laughs> the Thumb Fair. I've just Googled it. I recognize it, actually. What a show.
1: Yeah. Who came yeah. up with
2: that? I love it. It's like something out of the 80s, isn't it?
0: It's, Brilliant.
2: it's yeah. it just yeah. isn't any good though. Like, the, the, the aim of the game is to get the you put
3: a coin in or a, a counter in the top of the machine. <laughs> it pushes it onto the next <laughs> level. And whoever can get the most over the bottom level is, is the winner, essentially. There's no skill, is there at all? There's it's absolutely totally no skill in it. It's and, pointless. And, and and you've got the temerity to suggest that it's the best game show when you've got the likes of the chase and pointless on the other side.
4: Well, you have to ask the you have to answer questions to so get to put coins in the machines. So there is some skill in it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but the the quality of the questions, again, like... uh... Honestly, it's the only one I've, I've ever seen people interrupt the question, thinking they know the answer, and the answer is, bel- is kind of it's, it's too low brow to what they hit. Like, I genuinely my, the go to all the time, and I texted this to you on, on Wednesday. The, the, the go to is spring and which other season, and the guy buzzes in because it's obvious that you're you thinking equinoxes, opposite sides of the year, spring and autumn, and he goes autumn with full confidence, and then Ben Shepard goes, "No, I can finish the question," and he He says, "Spring and which other season begins with the letter S?"
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's
4: actually actually that dumb. That's incredible. You know, winter. I I just, you know, happy, happy to represent the common people on this show.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, Um, let's 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 drag it back, kicking and screaming, to to the topic of the day and the football. uh, speaking of kicking and, street and, and screaming, that's kind of how it feels watching City sometimes at the moment. I want to thank Adam from uh, statcity.co.uk for the help on this. Uh, but uh, Stephen, I, I want to give you get your reaction to some of these stats first off. Uh, five goals in the last six Premier League games for City. That's the same number as they scored in the first two games. Um, the last time that happened was at the back end of the 2009-10 season and the start of, uh, of 10-11. Uh, the last time that happened in, in one season on its own in a complete run was in April 2009. Uh, the world at that time uh, looked like this. <laughs> uh, the, the latest iPhone that you could buy was the 3G. Terry Wogan was still hosting Eurovision
2: Retourish. and Michael Jackson was alive. Again, um, that's mad. <laughs> Absolutely mad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not good, is it, really? I mean, what the hell, 2009... What a simple time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. We're obviously not scoring goals. I mean, uh, in terms of the reaction to that, I guess it's kind of good that I think Guardioli knows about it. Uh, at least he did say after the Spurs game that something has to change, you know. So I did think there was actually signs, you know, in the Olympia game that he had tried something slightly different. No, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we didn't throw the baby out of the backwater or anything like that. But um, I think it's pretty obvious that. It's going to have to give, you know. We're going to have to start going. I know that's really basic, but we are going to have to start scoring goals. So we are going to have to start changing things um, because those figures are pretty bad. I mean, last time I checked, I think there was only like four or five teams it scored less goals than us this season, uh, you know, in the Premier League. So it's I can't remember the exact number now, but it was something like that a couple of days ago, yeah. uh, and it has been a big issue. Obviously, there is the caveat, you know, we played so much of the season without strikers, and uh, which will affect anyone. But it is it is kind of concerning, isn't it? But have we reached the, the, you know, the point where it can't get any worse than that, so it has to get better? That's no, what think, it feels like. Things could always get worse, and City are the evidence of that. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: uh, historically, anyway. Uh, Simon, uh, th- th- I mean, there's more. The last time City had a negative goal difference at two different points in the season was 2007-8. And, eight, eight. and the only reason for that was because on the final two games, they lost to Liverpool, and then Middlesbrough 8-1. Um, and uh, you look at the uh, the expected goals for City's last three matches against Spurs, it's 1.21 for Spurs, 8.63 for City, and the aggregate score across the three games is 6-2 to Spurs. I mean, this is not good.
4: No, I I, I think the, the City-Spurs is a different issue from what they've had for most of the season, in that certainly last season and kind of a bit this year, against Spurs they created very good chances they just couldn't finish them but generally this season and more worryingly they've just not been able to create the quality chances that they have in previous seasons that means they're scoring goals and you know you don't you don't want to miss the chances that you create but you would rather create chances than miss them completely.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, Stephen, that the difference this season seems to have been last season, they were creating chances and missing
2: them. Now they're missing the chances to create chances, if that makes sense. (laughs) Kind of makes sense, yeah. I get what you're on about. I mean... um it did actually. I think I think this might be new. Tweeted it. It did feel more like last season um, against Olympiakos, where at least we were creating chances and missing them. Uh, which is a, is that a step in the right direction? I can't decide if that is or not. I mean, I guess the law of averages seems that eventually we're creating up, we're going to start scoring them. Um, but it's weird, is not it? We've gone like it's almost like there's some kind of balance here in City that's just totally messed up. If, if we're not, you know, conceding silly goals, um, which other than the Spurs game, we haven't really been doing. Now we're not scoring them. Instead, where last season it felt like the problem was reversed, and um, I do though have confidence that we can get it right. I, I mean, I do think we've have improved the defense, um, and I think eventually because of the defense will allow us that solid base to kind of uh, build on, so to speak. I do think we'll we'll, we'll find a way to start scoring goals. Um, I feel I don't know. I feel really confident about it. I, I don't probably totally naive or something like that, but I, I think Guardiola teams don't usually struggle to score goals. And I don't see any reason why. That this won't just end up being a couple of months blip, you know. I, th- I just think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Uh, Simon, is is this a situation that is is?
3: I'm not going to say solved, but it's certainly helped by Aguero's return, isn't it?
4: Um, it is, yeah. Um, but I still think the problem's in creating chances rather than, um, than taking them. Uh, I, I kind of. Guardiola said something a few seasons ago about like his team being like marionettes on string and if you pulled one string up then the whole team would fall apart and it's very much that kind of there's just something missing that's stopping the whole thing flowing um but not not talking about the defense because as Stephen said they've been pretty good um aside from them as as, does anyone count as having a good season so far like I'd, I'd say maybe Phil Foden but he's not started the last four league games
3: yeah. Um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, uh, the bigger picture as well, when you look at it, Stephen, it's that parked buses
2: against City are not a new thing, are they? No, not at all. I mean, so I'm not really kind of, I don't really buy this as, um, you know, oh, everyone's defending deep against us as an excuse, really. Because, I mean, they've been doing that literally since Guardiola arrived. I remember Sunderland doing that in his first game, literally his first game, you know. Um, so I'm not really, I mean, that comes with the territory it's like oh it's like complaining about being good you know so I'm not really having that as an excuse um, so I mean it could be that obviously when the more you do something the more teams get used to it and obviously these teams have played us an awful lot of times now over the past few years since Guardiola's been there so there's an element of um uh, getting used to it, um, but I don't think it's a case of that. Personally, I think it's just a lack of quality. Um, I think we're just not quite as good at breaking them down. Whereas previously, teams would sit back and you know put 11, uh, 10 people behind the ball, and we'd go when they'd go come at us, and we like, all right, we'll bat to you then. And that's what's been happening over the past few years. Hence why we scored record number of goals despite everyone parking the bus. So I can't, we can't use that as an excuse. We just can't because it doesn't marry with what's going on. Go on. But, but like Simon said,
3: uh, has anybody had a good game? Uh, has anybody had
2: a good season in front of that defence? Yeah, no, I agree. That's the point. It's a lack of quality. So I, I do think City aren't quite as um, as fluid going forward. I think Foden's had a good season. I actually believe that to be true. Even, even if he has, bizarrely, in my opinion, not played for the last few league games, I think that's genuinely... a honestly stupid decision i mean I, like, I just doesn't i don't see any logic in it at all and i love guardiola but I, I cannot see a single bit of logic other than putting the young guy in this place every now and then just because maybe he made a pass or two but i feel like certain players in the city team are untouchable uh untouchable in terms of like, you know they're gonna start every game you know your walkers your de Bruiners, and all that kind of stuff and i honestly believe at the moment phil foden should be in that category because he's one of the only ones who tries to to create something consistently um, and injects a little bit of pace um, as a bit of magic magic and i genuinely believe he will get better the more games he plays so other than that though um no you're right no one's had uh uh, well i mean some people have had individually good games like kdb's had some decent games individually but overall i think he's trying to do too much morris had a poor season so far sterling has torres and spits and spats you know he's been all right um but it is an issue because um we are we are looking substantially less effective, you know, uh, from the midfield upwards compared to uh, last season. even last season, we weren't at our fluid best. I don't think. So there's the question, Simon. What does Phil Foden need to do to get more more minutes in
3: the Premier League? Because if he's if he's been one of the most creative players that City have got at the moment, why is he not playing?
4: Yeah, Foden's a bit of a weird situation because sort of he sees himself as a midfielder, and they didn't sign anyone. To replace David Silva because of him. Uh, but because of the problems up front, they feel like they need him as a forward. Um, so he, he's kind of he if, if he plays well as a winger, then he's kind of doing himself out of his main position. Um, but then if he when he does get an odd run in the middle, he doesn't look that great. And then you think, oh well, you know, he's not going to start the next game then. So I I don't know. I mean I in Guardiola's defence, they have had um, they didn't have a preseason, and straight in into this season, they had a game every three days, and they've had a horrific injury list. Um, I think every game before this last one, they had at least four proper players injured. Um, so Guardiola said that competition breeds competition. Everyone is fit again, and so now if you don't play well, you'll get dropped, which you know could be what they need.
2: It doesn't feel that way for everyone, does it, though? It doesn't feel that way for everyone at the moment. You know, like, if you don't play, well, you drops It feels like it's only that way for certain players, um, which is understandable because managers trust certain players more than others, but it does feel like, you know, we've sat and watched certain players just have really poor games and then they're going to be in the starting lineup anyway. So it's a bit frustrating, I guess, from a fan's perspective watching that every now and then because you want to see, like, oh, come on, you know, why is he getting dropped after one mistake? For example, when... um. Foden misplaced the pass in um, Champions League game. He was obviously going to be dropped you know, the next game because he was getting the ball a little bit sloppily. But we've seen that a lot from people like Morris, for example. And they're in the yeah. they're in the you know the team the next week anyway. So that's why I guess gets frustrating as a fan because you yeah. feel like if he was worth sixty if he bought him for sixty million, you know he would be playing Foden more. We, we all know that for a fact. Um, I don't know why he feels that way, but it, well, maybe it's not a fact. It's just like, obviously got instinct. But it does feel like a little bit like it's because he's young still. So they're like, well, you know, it's almost like. It feels like he's part of his education still, and I guess the frustration is that the perspective as a fan is like, well, he doesn't need that anymore. You know, we're past that point. But I guess well, I'm not going to say no more than Guardiola, of course, so that'd be arrogant. But it just feels frustrating because there's a discrepancy from how he treats certain players. Yeah, uh, Simon, did did Guardiola honestly use the
3: word marionette? <laughs>
4: Uh, No, it was one of those press conferences where um, it was very hand gesture, visual. (laughs) Um, And I'm I'm not even certain that's what he said, to be honest, but I've just interpreted it as that. I am just going to say, knowing
3: knowing some of the ways that he... he, Certainly in that first season, the way he he sometimes used to lean to the press officer and say, what's the English for this? Marionette would really have blown me away, I'm not going to lie. Um, uh, Speaking of Guardiola, have a listen to this. This is from uh, his post-match press conference against Spurs, uh, talking about the lack of goals scored this season.
0: We are quite similar, the same, the previous seasons. We scored more than 100 goals, of course, in the period... Long period, we were without the strikers, but uh, we cannot expect the strikers going to solve all the problems. So I think we create the chances. We have a counter-attack for the last pass, like we could not finish and uh, last control. And uh, yeah, we could not score. So we're going to change. The moment's going to break some games. We're going to change. Simon,
3: what do you think he means by uh, going to change? Is he going to change his approach? Which, I, you know, the, the inference there is potentially the inverted wingers that a lot of the fans are not particularly happy with at the moment. Or does he? St- or is he thinking that that change will be in, in City's fortunes and that if they continue the way they are going and, and they continue you know, trying to play the right way, their luck will change and they'll get better opportunities and score more goals?
4: I think it is more the latter than the former. Um, I mean, interestingly, against Olympiacos, he did not play inverted wingers, but then had all of the forwards kind of operating centrally anyway. So it, they may as well have been inverted wingers. Um, but that seemed to work. But, you know, it, it it's praised when you win and, and not when you you don't. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously changes for each opposition, but... It sounds like from the feel of it that he is waiting for just a turning fortune. So he thinks they're pretty much there. They just need something to go their way and they'll be off for the season.
3: Yeah. What well, What do you make of the inverted winger, Stephen? Because it's it's been, it's I, you know, you go on City Twitter and it's gathering momentum now to the point where it's almost like this snowball rolling down a hill. You're
2: not going to stop it. Well, it just feels too obvious and you start to think, because it feels so obvious, like, oh, we're just missing something here. But, I mean, I do remember actually Guardiola saying after the Marseille game when he played Foden on the left and Sterling on the right, and that's one of our better promises of the season, I would say. And um, I don't know who asked him, but someone put it to Guardiola, was the use of wit useful? And this is a direct quote. You put... um, Said so back to the journalist, it's a good view. Congratulations. Um, against five at the back, you have to make the pitch high and wide. Raheem and Phil were exceptional. Um, so he knows that. And he said, also said, it's impossible when facing deep defending to be narrow. So it makes you think, well, Guardiola's actually said that, you know, as recently as a, a uh, less than a month ago. And I do think last night against Libertas, even though I, I actually agree the overall message is that something will change by persistence, I do actually think last night felt a little bit different. Um, I honestly believe it did because I, even though obviously uh, Foden and Sterling tucked in a little bit, there was a lot more natural wit from Mendy. Mendy was constantly overlapping. And I felt as, as a result of that, there was those little spaces between – um there's a look, you know, the typically David Silver half spaces. There's a couple of times when Foden was doing that run in behind the fullback that David Silva used to do to get, you know, when he's just inside the 18-yard box uh, near the byline to put the ball back. David Silva was always there. And last night, there was a few times where Phil Foden was actually doing that. Sterling wasn't quite as wide, um, uh, and Cancelo as well wasn't quite as wide as Mendy was on the left. Um, but the ball, to be honest, rarely went over to the right. It felt like a lot of our attacks came down the left last night. Um And I actually think that was a a notable change. Um, Now, obviously, Olympiakos aren't Spurs, um, but it did feel like uh, he'd—that was a a conscious decision to change that because um, to kind of of intentionally stretch the the top end of the pitch. Well, it was. I mean after, obviously, we struggled to break Spurs down and it it just looked like a lot wider. I would love to see the average positions. Unfortunately, I haven't got those stats, but I'd love to see it because it did feel an awful lot like City had an awful lot more width. And um, there were so many kind of crosses coming across the floor last night when there was none of that against Spurs, mainly because there's no overlappings, you know. Um, And we saw a slightly different game plan. Obviously, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't revolutionary or anything like that, but it did feel like a slightly different Man City to the last few weeks. And I don't know if that was just because he was playing certain players to get them fitness. If you know what I mean like Mendy needs a game and, and whatever and Walker's rested so Gonzalo was on the right um, I'm not sure if it was because of that as opposed to a direct intention but it felt like that was the result of it anyway and I kind of want to see more of that because we do need that natural width and as Guardiola said it himself you know so I do wonder why he's why he's not going to get that you know why he's going to get his own words because it just yeah. doesn't seem to make sense
3: Simon if 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 Mendy is is hmm. fit, uh, which again is is kind of a game by game thing at the moment, um, and if you've got you know Carl Walker on the right hand side or, or Cancelo who has, has has been excellent in the last few weeks, if they can offer the width, is there any problem in theory with having Mares on the on the uh, right and Sterling on the left?
4: No, not necessarily. I think last night against Olympiacos showed that you can have sort of um, wingers playing slightly inside as long as you've got the the fullbacks on. Um, however, João Cancelo is very, very, very right-footed. So you kind of need Mendy to be on the left. And Kyle Walker can get forward on the right, but it, it's not really what his main job is in the team. It's not what he's been asked to do for years and years under Guardiola so you know it's a good option and I mean it showed when Mendy got injured first time with City and Guardiola had to transform the whole way the team was set up like Mendy does change the way they play and he does make them wider um, which generally makes them better at attacking but uh, (laughs) can they rely on Mendy to stay fit Um, not, not yet
3: yeah therein lies the problem really isn't it let's talk for the the final part of the, uh, the first part of the show um handball because uh are there, are there any complaints Stephen, that that city's equalizer in inverted commas at spurs was disallowed
2: um it's tough is it? it's one of those things where uh, you know the whole cliche about get against you you don't want it for you you do kind of thing you know what i mean um i yeah i mean handball It's like such a it's just a weighted phrase isn't it the, the idea that you know uh, gabriel jesus Look to gaze away an advantage or whatever, or it hit a part of his body that didn't feel completely natural. Um, it felt like it kind of felt relatively fair within the rules of the game at the moment, but the rules are a piece of shit if we're being honest, you know. Um, and it's just, um, it's annoying, isn't it? I, I, I just hate football at the moment, you know, with all this kind of stuff and like this constant focus on, you know, um, uh, tiny little details like where, where, what inch did that hit his arm and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I, uh, it's it's just tiring. It's just genuinely tiring. i put it, like, I put it go, to you
3: though, that if, if, if there was no VAR and that was Mike Dean making that decision that he'd handballed it with the laws as they are today,
2: if that hadn't been looked at on the video, we'd have gone, yeah, it's probably handball. I don't see, I don't think upper arms handball personally, but that's a personal thing, you know, like that's very much, I mean, we all have our own interpretations, don't we, of what we think it is. And, um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, I guess we will we'll never know really, but I think we probably all agree that this absolute obsession with everything at the moment is just it's just everything's about referees, and I'm so bored of talking about referees. The NBA was meant to solve all the refereeing problems this VAR thing, and now the, <laughs> now football now football is more about referees than ever, you know. And um and again, the handball rule is um I, was it Kevin De, it was Kevin De Bruyne wasn't it? He said how the rules have changed more in the past. For years and they had in the first nine years of his career, something like that. And it's getting very, very confusing. And, and he's, he's got a point with that, you know. Um, it's like it's just the confusion around football at the moment is just oh, tiring. What, what I would say, Simon, is um,
3: even if that goal had stood, I'm not confident yeah. that City would have gone on to win the game. Does that make sense? The way that game had panned out to that point anyway
4: yeah yeah I think that's true um but I think certainly last season, the morale of the team and the squad was kind of took took a hit from decisions like that going against them um and so if you start to get decisions like that for you, then maybe um you know you you turn around i I just think you know we kinda need more transparency in these decisions and because it was complicated more by uh, Mike Dean touching the T-shirt part of his arm to indicate handball. Um, Now, that might be because that's the gesture he's used to making, but now that handball isn't the upper part of the arm, um, you know, if Mike Dean had come out or, you know, if referees were, heaven forbid, allowed to explain the decisions and said, yeah, that's touched the upper part of his arm or that's touched his bicep, so it is handball. Then it would have been fine. Or I don't know if you get like Hawkeye cricket and you get thermo image cameras to uh, to see which part of the arm it's touched. Oh,
2: it's horrible! It's horrible.
4: Um, get but,
3: out of football. But, but this, is, this this is the thing, though, isn't it? Because um, like like even if it's touched, if it's touched the exact mark on the on on the arm that is that the VAR has decided is the t shirt line, um, it's yeah. on the line in. Like, like on, the, like if it's a penalty, if it's on the line, it's considered in the box. But like, if it's if it's on the line of the T-shirt, is that on the arm or is it off the arm? Do you <laughs> know what I mean?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I could find out, but I can't be bothered. Um, it's...
2: I, don't, I don't think anyone knows. That's the thing, like, genuinely.
4: <laughs> no, no. But, um, I mean, I thought it looked handball, but then when I saw it slowed down, I can't actually see it hitting his bicep. I can see it hitting the T-shirt part of his arm, but... Um, I can't see it hitting below the line to make it handball. So No, not no. Can Mike Dean, is that what he's seen, or is he seen the upper party? It just, you know, I don't think you mind decisions. Well, obviously they do mind decisions going against them, but you don't mind as much if it's explained to you, because then you can say, right, well, you're right or you're wrong, whereas there's too much at the minute where it's just like nobody knows.
3: Yeah, and I think they, uh, my point, I think, with this handball, though, is that if... If this wasn't a referee looking at the monitor, we wouldn't consider it a controversy. It's, it's just because he's gone over to the monitor and checked it on the on the on the monitor that that we've gone. Oh well, it's it's a big VAR controversy. I can't really understand what's happened. And like ultimately, he's, he's seen it. It's his hand. That's that's what's happened.
4: <laughs> they did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what part of the arm has he seen it hit? Yeah.
2: I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. It, um, yeah. What it's worth, I actually think City would have gone on. I, I I'm gonna disagree. I think City would have gone on and actually got a second. I actually think they would have. Because I think In a big game like that, I, I just don't know. I feel like they would have. Um basing that on absolutely nothing. But um I feel like it would have been a massive combat because like the way, you know, Laporte celebrated um, it felt like a, a big moment. Um I just I don't know, I feel like we would have got something. Obviously we'll never know, and it's just entirely subjective, but I do think that was a big turning point. I mean, I didn't feel that hard done by, by the way, by that goal. You know, disallowed. I didn't that's that's probably one way of judging it, but yeah. Um, like maybe I'm just numb to it now. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm just numb to these things. Spurs and VAR, just it's not a route you want to get emotionally invested in, I guess, yeah. anymore because we've been they, burnt. They, to me they go hand in hand,
3: don't they? Yeah. Um, uh, big picture, then um, Simon, are City title challenges this season?
4: I think they still can be. Um, they've got a very welcome set of fixtures coming up, with just kind of United away in the next six being the one that is alarm bells flagging. Um, and even then, it shouldn't be because they're a much better team than United, but they just seem to have this weird thing where they perform terribly every time they play them at the minute. Um, but yeah, the the league is not going to be won by a team getting 90 plus points. I think they're eight points off top with a game in hand. So, you know, if, if they get 15 points from the next 18, I think that's going to be more than most teams manage in uh, in the next six games, and and they're right up there. But it, it's just whether they can uh, turn this sort of flashes of promise into actually scoring goals.
3: Yeah, Stephen. I, I mean, there there is something in this though, because um, I'm I'm going to I'm, I'm going to dare to say it. Like, I in my mind, it's okay if City are not title challengers this season. I just want it to be entertaining and fun again.
2: <laughs> that's a risky business man i'm not sure how many people would agree with that um i don't think it's okay that's challenge personally i don't think i think that's a lower i i it's probably okay that we don't win the league as long as the football's decent um but not title challenges i think it's risky business depends what you mean by that i guess um but we have to be up there i think we just have to i mean we've regardless of the transitional season we're in and lo- losing people like silver and company and whatever and um we are far too good a squad to be. What do you mean by not title challenges, by the way? Like what, do you mean like not top four or something like no, that? No, no, no. You can finish in the top four and not, be, and not challenge for the title. Spurs have made a career on doing that. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, I, I mean, if City are, are 20 points behind Liverpool again, I think that's bad. I think that's bad. Uh, I just I don't think that's acceptable. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying get rid of Guardiola, but I just don't think it's something that we can go. I mean, to be honest as well, I think the things go hand in hand. I mean, if we're twenty points behind Liverpool, we, we're not we're not going to have fun, you know. So like, I, we're not. It means we're not scoring goals and not winning games. So I mean, I'm being relatively facetious there, but um, I mean, yeah, of course, if City start banging goals in and then you know occasionally lose 1-4-3 or something like that. Um, can we is it possible to enjoy that anymore, you know, if we've been spoiled too much? Obviously some fans will be less upset than others, but there's an element of like, well, um is that, you know, is that acceptable, you know, because obviously we've given the money we spent on the defenders as well. And I hate to be that guy, but we have signed two centre backs, you know, and we have got, you know, you know, a really expensive fullback. So is it like acceptable then to score loads of goals and also concede loads to lose games? Uh, I think we and to be honest, what it's worth. I, I still think this season's got well, literally does have an awful long way to go. And yeah. you know, we, will, we probably will by the law of averages win our game in hand because you know City do win more games, well, usually do anyway, and then, then they don't. So five points with this weird season, there's, there's going to be so many twists in this, you know. And I don't think anyone can't imagine City not being near the top court towards the end. and and we've obviously turned back bigger deficits than this before famously a few times and um it just it's one of those things where obviously because given what we do you know all three of us make and do die- you know, discuss content around Manchester City, and obviously you're trying to extrapolate forward, and it's human nature to do that. But um, I think more than most seasons, this season is going to be the one where, I mean, when it's going to, there's going to be just surprises. I mean, I still think the table will look relatively familiar at the end, but I think there'll be surprises in terms of the points totals and teams randomly losing games that they wouldn't have usually lost. And um, and I think that'll be the same for Liverpool. I think it'll be the same for Spurs and the City and United and Chelsea and everyone else. And uh, but I would expect City to be, I would hope and expect City to be a lot closer than last year and i think we should be
3: when uh, when uh, richard keys suggested getting sam Allardyce in to help with city <laughs> defending I'm, I'm genuinely thinking now at the moment what's kevin keegan up to could uh, could, could pep give him a give him a call <laughs> to see, see if he's even given a bit of a bit of a boost to the back inside of things a dream know? team yeah. than that. investing can be seen as something too complicated to get involved in but it's often one of the best ways of growing wealth over the long term High commissions and clunky products from traditional stockbrokers can put people off and very few people actually benefit from each trillion dollar company that's built. Free Trade is aiming to change that by breaking down barriers and opening up stock investing to everyone. They don't charge commission fees, so you can invest and keep more of your profits. And their award winning app is used by over a quarter of a million people. It's FCA authorised and FSCS protected, and it lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, and investment trusts, all without commission. And Free Trade has won the best online trading platform at the British Bank Awards two years running. The app makes it simple for everyone, beginners and experts, and you can start investing from just £2. They don't offer any speculative products like spread betting or products with leverage, and they don't do day trading, it's all about the long term. You can sign up for a general investment account, a stocks and shares ISA, or you can sign up to Free Trade Plus with more advanced order types and a bigger stock universe. Self-invested personal pensions, or SIPs, are also being launched soon too. Just go to freetrade.io forward slash blue moon, and if you register and fund your account, you'll get a randomly allocated free share. That will be worth between £3 and £200. It'll be a share somewhere like Greg's, Rightmove or Apple. So you can get that by registering and funding your account at freetrade.io forward slash blue moon. Don't forget, when you invest, your capital is at risk. The value of investments can go down as well as up, and you may receive back less than your original investment. Uh, Right, well, it's been over a decade now that City were going through the transition from mid-table mediocrity to global superpower. It all began with the then-owner, Taksin Sinawatra, on the run from the Thai authorities and having his assets frozen, meaning that the club had no money. In came Mark Hughes as manager from Blackburn, and with him came Mark Bowen, his assistant, who says they didn't know what they were walking
0: into. I don't think we knew the the severity of it, Dave. Well, we certainly didn't, because, um, I mean you know, to sort of simplify it, all, we, we would basically look at it and say, look, Man City is a huge club. And almost, let's say, uh, I don't mean this condescending, almost like a sleeping giant. Um, yes, there was a little bit of, I dare you, know, a horrible word to use, but that sort of a little bit of sexiness to it, if you like, you know. Uh, Sven had sort of been there. Or I, I, generally, man, you can probably tell me, I'm not sure if he'd would if he been sacked or we were told, listen, Sven's finished, he's going or whatever. I know the actual detail on that one but it seemed like a you know a good proposition and and Gary Cook was there at the time or had just been brought in at the time and it's almost like something something big was going to be happening there you know you tell you know better than me we, I remember we played right I might be in the first game of the season or the second game of the season where we'd played um, we played Aston Villa away I think we lost the game and as soon as the game finished, Mark said to me, look, they want to see us. Uh, we're going to speak to um, a fellow called Pairoj, who, who was Sinuatra's uh, right-hand man, who was almost like running the club at the time. Well, he was running the club, I think. Uh, they wanted to speak to us. So I think it was Pairoj, there was Gary Cook, myself, Mark. So we went to the hotel um, in Birmingham city centre. And basically, it was it was said. Listen, um, this is a situation. Money's really bad. Um, we have agreed a fee with Tottenham Hotspur for Koluka. We were like Mark. Was, Mark was totally stunned. And well, listen, you know, we're trying to build something here. We've just looked beaten by Aston Villa. You know, the squad needs strengthening. He doesn't need sort of you know weakening it. You know, but they were you know adamant that I think Tottenham had offered something like ten million pounds for him. The deal was sort of they they'd said yes, he can go, and that was it. I think if you like Gary Cook, so to speak, would see if you like a little bit of the toys coming out of the pram. You know, Mark obviously just coming to the club wasn't happy. Mark said, Well look, if Koluka goes, we need to strengthen the the, the defence, obviously. Two players that we've we've looked at and admired for a for a while were um Pablo Zavaleta and Vincent Company. Having said that at the time, and I smile about it now because Vincent was was seen as a as a big, powerful defensive midfield player at the time at uh, at Hamburg. Yeah,
3: was there was there any any truth in the rumor around um, Stephen Island being sold behind your backs as well? There was yes. the, the the rumor about the head of the AC Milan game, wasn't
0: there? Yes, yeah, there was definitely talk about Stephen going. Uh, was it Sunderland or something? And and again, Mark Mark sort of put his put his foot down. If you like, and said, look, look, you can't you can't go doing things like this. He's a big part of our plans, and and it, that that didn't materialise. You know. Yeah.
3: When when did you find out that uh, the next takeover was happening, the Sheikh Mansour takeover?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I just, just uh, specifically made. I, I, I can't remember, but I know it was obviously a few games in, news was breaking, and, and they think very quickly that, that it seemed to be a buyout. I think Mark was in obviously strong contact with Gary Cook at the time, and it just seemed, you know, my recollection, is it just seemed almost like from one day to the next, it seemed to happen very, very quickly where, you know, it was there was this interest from Sheikh Mansour and then obviously you try and do it you know, personally, a lot of homework on it and looking at, you know, where's what's going to happen, where's this coming from? And it it just seemed it just very, very quickly from almost like one day to the next, we bang, we were there, and the next minute, the change, change of ownership happened. We obviously knew in the build-up to it that that uh, Sinuato had his financial problems in it and it couldn't continue. You know, obviously, with his situation in Thailand, assets frozen, it was impossible for that situation to open. So we knew that there was going to be new owners coming in you know and 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 we felt City was a was a very attractive situation so again whom who it may be and, and when but it, it I remember it did happen very quickly yeah
3: what uh how much of of the Rubinio deal were you aware of before it before it happened was that was that very much uh a statement from the new owner or was it somebody Mark was looking at that suddenly with with a lot of money sort of thing
0: yeah, no, it, it was, again, I think it's been well documented. It was, um, we had a, the academy at a golf day at, um, I think, Worsley Park um, Golf Course and, and Hotel. It was almost, so we were on. well, we were on the buggy and, and Gary Cook and the people were saying to Mark, well, look, you know, you know, the deadline's closing. We, as a club and the owners, want to make an instant statement, you know, to the fans and to everybody, this, you know, this is what we were about. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make massive changes. We're going to take the club forward. So I think uh, at one time, you know, they were talking to Mark. There was there was bids, four or five bids. One I know certainly one for um, Berbatov. There was one for Berbatov. There was one, I think, for Frank Ribbery on the table. Um, there was one for, um, I'm trying to think. No, there was, we had about four bids or, or each one round about the 30 million mark. And, you know, we went from playing golf and not being able to concentrate, but, you know, you're still going through the motions. One minute you're thinking, well, Berbadov's coming, the next minute it was somebody else, then it was Robinho. I have to confess, I don't think we knew, we didn't know a lot about Robinho at the time, other than he was a mercurial talent at At, at Real Madrid. Uh, genuinely, you'd, you'd probably look at the, the you know, the, the players, the, the three or four players that we'd sort of almost like targeted. And... Thinking what one would fit in best to the way we wanted to go forward. I have to say, for all his talent, Robinho was probably the least of the most attractive in terms of you know we just felt he didn't he didn't probably need like a, a you know physically that type of player you know we you know a Berbatov somebody could go, you know really go and lead the line at front and score goals uh, even like a, a ribbery type of player. But it didn't. I suppose if we had a real Choice, if you like, at the time. I suppose, I suppose, Rubinho would have been down the list of the three or four. You know.
3: Yeah. Um. I want to talk about uh the the shape of the dressing room as well because there was there was rumors behind uh, uh certainly from th- th- that the fans were seeing um mm. that the uh, certainly in that first season there was that th- that that cliques had developed especially among like the div- the Brazilian players that sort of thing. Um. How was it a United dressing room or was it difficult to to kind of get it together?
0: Well, I think it was, it'd be lying if I said it was United. It was, I don't think it was, I mean, I've been in far worse dressing rooms, certainly, but I think there was just this uneasiness because you had the likes, if you like, of Stephen Island, of Mika Richards, of Nidham and Nua, of Michael Johnson, who'd grown up at the club. They were now left wondering, well, you know, do the club want me still? Am I going to be surplus requirements? Am I going to just be, if you like, bought out, somebody comes in, you know, with a higher price tag just because they're, they're again, more sexier than I am? So there was there was that to deal with with the younger players certainly and making sure that you were still you know engaged and not if you like disenfranchised with the whole thing. So that was important. But then obviously when likes of Rubinho and Joe and people like that got coming in, the natural thing is that you know they do it happens now in clubs. They do tend to congregate together. Now that's that's okay if everybody's if you like pulling in the same direction. But I think what we found was, again, for all his talent, if you like, you you had the likes. I think he still had that mentality at the time where everybody wanted, you know, it's okay. Whoever you are, you know, we'll we'll sort of put up for you and we'll embrace you as long as you seem to be giving everything that's demanded. Do you understand what I'm saying? And and, and I think what a lot of of different players, people saw at the club was, if you like, you know, Rubinho maybe Alano at the time for all his talent. Joe, once he yes, they weren't just sticking together, which that's fine. It was they weren't putting the shift in. You know, when the going got tough in certain games, then it was you know you could almost see like a Rubinho thinking, well, you know, at that time, well, what am I doing here? You know, what am I doing? I come from Real Madrid, and while the game was going on, instead of just basically knuckling down and putting the effort in, and that would cause problems like on the training ground sometimes and you know and, and match days in the dressing rooms they wanted to see that real commitment of of putting the hard yards in putting the effort in and 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 i'll go forward david we 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 were at mark and i were at um uh, we were at stoke and we played uh played city and um after the game pep invited us in for a chat and you know we, we were saying at the time two questions i asked him was you know First of all, what do you see the difference? And he'd been there about maybe about six months, I think. And said to him, what, "You know, what do you see? The, what's the difference from where you've been, if you like, in Germany to here, and and Spain to, to the Premier League?" And straight away he, he turned around and he said, "I just feel here," he said, "nobody nobody lays down and dies." You know, he said, "When you're in Spain and even in Germany but with Bayern Munich, if you go you go a goal up or two goals up, you know the game's won." And he also said then, he said, yeah, no, and, and how hard you, if easy or hard or what? And he actually said, well, it, it's easy he, at the moment. He said, because when your two best players, David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne, when your two best players work harder than anybody else in the team, then it's easy. And it just rung a bell with us because, you know, if Rubinho had come in and been that type of player, then maybe the outcome of his Man City career would have been better. Of our City interviews on our website, BlueMoonPodcast.com.
3: Part two of that interview with Mark Bowen will be on next week's show where he talks about his and Mark Hughes' sacking from City in December 2009. Time to look ahead now to uh, City's upcoming games with Burnley and Porto. Um, Simon, you mentioned it uh, earlier on. The fixture list is is a lot kinder to City in the next few weeks. Burnley at home, Fulham at home, United away, West Brom at home as, as, the, as the next four Premier League games. Um, it feels like an opportunity, this, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, Southampton and Newcastle are the two after that. So, yeah, it's it's a lot easier than has been. And again, it's kind of difficult reading too much into a start to the season because you don't know how good a point away at Leeds is going to be or, or a win away at Wolves or things like that. Um, but the more games there are, the more you kind of get to see uh where teams are and city have never had any problem that's that's wrong they've lost to burnley a few times but they've never <laughs> they've rarely have they had problems at home um like they've had away away it's always a battle and always a struggle whereas at home generally under guardiola um they've convincingly won
3: yeah if uh, my I've... memory
4: serves me right
3: I was going to say on that, Stephen. Uh, Burnley have their first win of the season, but they've they've ha- they haven't half had some problems this season. Uh, City is past them in the League Cup as well. It's it kind of feels like this one's built for City to 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 put their problems <laughs> behind them.
2: Yeah. Ah, uh, you say that, man. You say that, but you're a Man City fan. I am yeah, as well. <laughs> we know what that means. Um, yeah, of course, Burnley got their first victory of the season just before the players. Um, despite, they've had a weird time. They? They've had a ton of injuries, haven't they, Burnley? Genuinely, like, they've been really unfortunate, and obviously, they haven't really got the squad that most teams have got. Um, I can't stand Burnley. I'll be honest. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping we spank them. Um, but it, I, I do. You start to wonder. Um, given everything at the moment, if this is the season where the um you know where it becomes a little bit too much for Burnley to keep their head above the water. Obviously, they've been a relatively decent... I say that, but they've been fine in the Premier League for an awful long time. But I I, I wonder if Burnley are one of the teams that have suffered a little bit more uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because obviously they've got a small squad and the injuries have, and the lack of pre has hit them too. And secondly, um, no turf more, you know. I, mean, I know they've got it, but they haven't got those fans and uh Turf Moor, as you know, is a, a pretty raucous place. You know, it's a, obviously, you know, it's a, I liked it when I was there. I enjoyed it. But those fans and the, the general environment, um, it used to be a case that you'd fear going Burnley. And you kind of still do. But obviously, without those fans there and that kind of slightly less hostile atmosphere because it's literally just empty stadiums. I wonder if like Burnley aren't quite as scary as they used to be and if it's going to be a little bit much for them. So having yeah. said that, Burnley for your Man City, no. <laughs> Um Simon, how, do, in, in, looking at City for this game, how much does Guardiola need
3: to change things to alter things tactically? And how much does he need to change things just to freshen things up and, and make sure players are not being... that They're already under you know a, a, a very heavy schedule. He, he's got to give players as much rest as he can.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was encouraging to see... Um... Walker and De Bruyne are left at home for the Olympiacos game. Two players that have been used quite a lot and will will be used quite a lot again. Um, I know a lot of the narrative around them beating Olympiacos was about unboxing off qualification, but uh, it will be very interesting next Tuesday when they go to Porto, uh, needing a point to make sure they top the group to see whether he is true to... Uh, True to the narrative and picks a weaker team, or or goes quite strong again to uh, to try and get top spot um, with a game to spare. But yeah, they, I mean, Guardiola rotates more than most managers. Um, but when they're winning, it feels like it's strong changes, and anyone can come in and and do the job. Uh, but as I said uh, earlier this season, it doesn't feel really like. Anyone ahead of the defence has kind of earned the shirt, um, other than, than Foden, who hasn't got it.
3: Yeah, um, you mentioned the Porto game there. Were you at the, the, the Porto game at the Etihad?
4: Yes, yes, it got, it want, got a bit yeah.
3: tasty, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh,
4: um, yeah, as, as one of the sort of lucky few who gets to go to games at the minute, it is an utterly joyless experience, and it doesn't really feel like there's any kind of excitement or entertainment there. But Porto was. Was up there as as one of the most dramatic, I think, just because the two benches were going at it nonstop from the first whistle. Everything was a foul. They were shouting to get players sent off. I I had to ask um, the club afterwards if they would let sort of more people in than they normally do because it was so loud. And City's technical analyst is one of the loudest people in the stadium, whatever, and and he was getting shouted over. <laughs> um, there was like there were Porto staff having a go at like Adrian Bernabe Fernandinho um, was giving it back Pet was trying to play Peacemaker and then getting involved with uh, the manager as well they didn't shake hands at the end it it yeah it, it's going to be tasty that, Porto's
2: coaches yeah. even known for being a bit um, massive you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah
4: so,
3: so yeah. Could, could this get quite tasty then
4: yeah yeah I'd expect it to yeah
2: Tommy yeah. Doyle for the we two footer early on just to get this going. <laughs> Go on, Tommy lad. Uh
3: yeah, so I mean when you when you consider all of that in, in mind, uh Stephen, a point away at Porto be a good
2: result. Top the group, get it, get it done, get out there We know injuries. Yeah, I mean, obviously the job's done, isn't it? So it doesn't really matter um what the result is. And um I think we probably will get a point or so or something like that. Um I just want to see the Academy lads now. Honestly, I want to see some players rested, I want to see Tommy Doyle, Cole Palmer get a game or something like that. Because, um, I mean, it's just one of those chances as well for Guardiola to experiment a little bit, you know, rest a few players, give those. Uh, to be honest, it's probably good actually as well that Porto have got something to play for still. And, you know, obviously they're going to go for it. Um, they're feisty as well that we know. So maybe it's good for the couple of academy lads that will probably get a start. But they're going to be in a game that's a dead rubber, but also not at the same time. You know, so it's going to be an actual, I think it'll be an interesting game. Because, um, yes, yeah, so there is something riding on it for Porto still. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really good test for this, a couple of the young lads. I watched you say that. I watched you be the first team fully now. But <laughs> I, I still think, I don't think Doyle and Palmer maybe get a, get a game from that. Um, and I'm glad there is an edge to it. Because obviously those dead rubber games at the end of the Champions League are always really, really boring. And um, I, uh, And Porto, yeah, bring it on. Hopefully it's fun.
3: Yeah, well, uh, let's let, let's uh, let's wait and see what happens on that front. But uh, you know, it's uh, I, I do like Simon. I, I reckon it could get a little bit tasty. Uh, we remain on 170 pounds for the Christie so far for the charity bet uh, after no wins in the last week. William Hill is giving each of the panel a 10 pound correct score single on City's games. The winnings going to the cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, starting off with Burnley, Simon, what have you got?
4: Three uh, nil to Manchester City.
3: Uh, that's eleven to two and 55 pounds. Uh, what have you gone for for Porto as well?
4: Do do the odds lengthen if I add in that Sean Dyche will moan after the game about not getting at least one penalty?
3: Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think that's evens. That um, right. I, I, okay. I don't think it yeah. will help you. Cause yeah.
4: <laughs> fair. Um, I've gone for one all for Porto. Uh,
3: that's six to one and sixty pounds. If you're right, uh,
2: Stephen. What have you got for Burnley? Um, a battling two one victory. It's seventeen to two and eighty five pounds. And then Porto. I wanted to go 1-0, but uh, Sam got in first. So I'm gonna, once again, I'm just going to repeat myself and go 2-1-1-2. Two, 2-1 one, one, two. Uh, two, is 7-1 seven and 70 pounds if
3: you're right. Um, I've got 1-0 in both games, which is 7-1 against Burnley and 70 quid and 8-1 against Porto and 80 quid. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about Pep Guardiola's new contract.
1: This week I thought it was time for a pep talk I've talked about him elsewhere this week When discussing the defeat to Spurs But felt there was enough new stuff for me to mention Without fear of repetition He is a fascinating individual after all And let's admit it, flawed enough to merit discussion As it's fair to say, things aren't going exactly to plan right now This podcast is about flawed individuals Though one is more flawed than the other More on him later But we cannot live in the past By offering Pep a new two year contract And him of course taking it That is kind of what we were doing this contract is not a reward for recent performance levels. It's a symbol of faith in a man who has reached the highest peaks and who we think will be reaching them again in the future with our football club. Sadly, it's not inevitable those peaks will be reached though. Not many managers would have been offered that contract in this situation, but then other managers are not Pep Guardiola. Either way, what he has done in the past matters little to the immediate future now. For me, the slate is wiped clean and he's here to deliver more success and justify the new contract he has got. He is his own biggest critic, so we'll know what is necessary and we'll agree probably to everything I've just said. So why did he sign that contract? Up for a fight? To leave a new legacy? Because he believes in himself? All of the above? I guess we'll find out. Either way, Pep is close to unsackable at City, but that should not be a potential issue when he's unlikely to outstay his welcome anyway, a man who would quit if he felt he was not up to the job. So by definition he thinks he is, and he says there will be changes. It's good to hear, even if it is stating the obvious. We will see what those changes are. But can solutions only be found with another huge outlay of money? How does that make us any better than United? Well, the striker issue probably does require a big outlay, and you'll hear no complaints from me if huge briefcases of cash entice Haaland or Mbappe to East Manchester. But elsewhere, solutions need to be found away from that metaphorical war chest. The changes must be tactical and operational as much as in personnel. City already have one of the best squads in Europe. We should be competing for titles right now, even if this season follows few rules and there are plenty of extenuating circumstances. Now, I've argued constantly, but without conviction really for months, that performance levels have no correlation with Pep's contract situation. That the players have not dropped off with their intensity or shooting prowess because their manager's contract expired at the end of the season. It made little sense to me, though no one seemed to agree with me. And with the new contract signed, nothing changed. The same predictable outcome on Saturday. At half-time, I would have been tempted to put my mortgage, if I had one, on the game finishing 2-0 to Spurs after City dominated possession, but did little with it. Did anything change with the Olympiacos match? In a way, no. But then it's hard to tell. City qualified from the group stage, as they do every season. That's 12 in a row for Pep, as you would expect. They did it with two games to spare got three successive clean sheets in the Champions League. The last time they had three successive clean sheets in Europe, they won the competition. I'm sorry to report that there were no such things as omens, far with fate, fairies, ghosts, UFOs, fake moon landings and United's DNA. I spent my youth watching other English teams win in Europe by a single goal often, and often a slog, and it was portrayed always as professional and the sign of a potential champion. Now we expect City to sweep aside teams on the road, though naturally we all retain an understandable anxiety about the team's ability, or lack of, to score goals. But hey, Fernandino and Sergio are back, John Stone's got a match under his belt, and a clean sheet too, Phil Foden was Phil Foden. No injuries that I'm aware of, and Tommy Doyle on the pitch too, and City barely allowed the home team into their penalty area. That's not a simple task, however many injuries they may have. However, we should not get complacent just yet as rumours emerge that UEFA have opened new proceedings against City with the possibility of point deductions after witnessing the jacket Pep was sporting on Wednesday evening. I'd have few complaints if we were thrown out of competition, if I'm honest. Sadly, that jacket will now sell out in record time but that's 2020 for you. If Mario Balotelli can hold talks with Barnsley then anything is possible. But what lies ahead for Pep and this team? Truth is, we just don't know. As I said, signing a contract doesn't magically improve results and performances. is going to have to work this out over time, unlock the challenge of scoring more and unlock low sitting defences. I was pleased he committed to City, but I was not euphoric. He needs to win us over once more, or me at least, but I know there's others as well. But having sat at home for eight months largely, I'm probably expecting too much of my football team to lift the gloom that hangs over the world right now. But if he returns City to the top of the tree, either domestically or for the first time in Europe, it will rank for me as one of his greatest achievements, however much money has been spent. Time will tell. Now finally, as you will know on Wednesday, just prior to City's kick-off, news emerged that Maradona had died, aged 60. For a man who lived life to the full, it was a miracle he lasted this long, though he of course still died far too young. I could talk about what Maradona was to me, you or to Argentinians, to Napoli fans and more, but it's a podcast in itself a book even, and when a flawed genius dies, you always hold your breath to await the response. So how soul-sappingly predictable that the English tabloids would focus on his 1986 Hand of God when writing their front page headlines. When you think of Maradona, is the first thing you think of, of him as a cheat? Of course, that match was a big thing, a key event in our international history, but in Maradona's life, it's merely a footnote. You don't need to cover his death from an English perspective, just cover it from his life perspective, Fact is, most footballers cheat all the time. It's about getting away with what you can, testing the officials, trying to bring marginal or large gains to your team. Claiming for throwing that you know is not yours might not compare to punching a ball into the net, but it's still cheating, as is diving, feigning injury, trying to get other players sent off, and the raft of other things we witness in every single football match. Anyway, I'm almost glad, even as an Englishman, of that handball goal now, having seen what sort of man Peter Shilton is, and it should be the least surprising news of the year to see him whining in the Daily Mail article about an incident 34 years ago. Classy obituary, Peter, classy paper. Maradona, like the man who died 15 years to the day previous, George Best, wasted much of his career, and like Best, wasted his body too and died too young but what they could do with a football transcended everything else, including our many flaws and missteps. We shouldn't ignore those flaws because they are accountable for them. But what he achieved at his peak surpasses everyone else, for me. We can and should separate what happens on the pitch and what happens off it. We do that with geniuses, though. We, we allow leeway for their mistakes because we're mesmerised by their aura, personality, and the mastering of their craft. In Argentina, there will be three days of mourning Where he's revered as a god would be. He is a god to them. He symbolised them. He represented them. He put in perhaps the greatest set of World Cup finals performances ever seen in 86. He dragged his club to league titles twice. Two league titles they were never expected to compete for, let alone win. I don't like ranking footballers, but for me I think he's the most naturally gifted of them all. Of course Messi is the other one in the conversation. Think of the effect he had on football, good and bad think of how his relationship with a football differed from everyone else's rest in peace diego armando maradona cuz i think we may never see his like again and for the record maradona described george best as even crazier than him i'm clive tilsley
3: yeah yeah i know yeah Barmy night barcelona all that yeah that clive tilsley um, you're listening to the blue moon podcast enjoy <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But well, don't worry, it'll be over soon. Howard Hock there. Now, uh, before we get into as the panel, uh, we've learned today that uh, Manchester's going to be in Tier 3 under the new government restrictions, Simon. So uh, you'll, you'll still be going to the Etihad, but there'll be no fans allowed back in at the moment. How's, how's, about, how's that sound? Uh,
4: the same as it sounded for the last eight months, really. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a dreadful situation. Um we just have to kind of hope that um yeah, the fans get back as as soon as they can.
3: Yeah.
2: Um Stephen, are you in any rush to get back at the moment? Um not really, if I'm being honest. I mean, like I I, I was actually lucky to go. I, I went to I was on one of the City shows as well and um the City-Liverpool game. I got invited onto their YouTube channel show and I was actually, it was weird being in the stadium and just, it's not, as Simon said, it's not fun. It was, I didn't really like it, if i being honest. Watching football in a stadium with no fans there, it was, it was kind of surreal and a bit kind of dead and a bit, um, depressing if I'm being honest and I've got a feeling having 4,000 fans in the stadium will probably feel slightly similar and be a bit underwhelmed especially if they're going to do all these things where oh you're not allowed to sing too much and no hugging and no celebrating and that isn't football you know it's like I would kind of rather personally just kind of not have it until we can have it you know i mean that's i I understand anyone who feels differently but um i'm so bored of like the sanitized versions of so many things that i love and i kind of don't want to remember them in a different way you know um so personally i i mean i remember going to it's not the same of course but going to cinema is kind of fun but sitting in the cinema you know with a mask on is like it feels like oh i kind of wish i wasn't doing that obviously you do obviously because you're conscientious person but even that felt a bit different you know and like and going to football and you know I, I'm going to presume it's the same, you know, stood there, you know, mask on. not really allowed to sing too much. Everyone stood really far apart, silent. I can imagine it's going to just be a little bit like, this is a bit sad, you know, it's a bit awkward and a bit odd. And, to be honest as well, if we're looking at it from a player's perspective, if you've got 4,000 people spread out massively with 20 seats between them, stood there in silence, arm crossed, it's kind of a bit surreal, isn't it? It's like a, <laughs> it's like a Radiohead video or something. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, I, like, I can't imagine anything weirder than that. And I'm not sure if that's one of those things where you think it's going to improve things, but it actually makes you feel a little bit like, oh, this is naff. Can we not just have it back properly? But having yeah. said that, you know, it could make, bring a lot of joy to some people. So, you know, the, the more steps back towards normalities, the better. But I kind of just want to wait. You know, where wait, wait until things look a lot you know, a lot healthier. Simon, can you have a fair competition if
3: some teams can have fans in and others can't? Uh
4: that is a very good question. Um yeah, maybe. Um I don't know, you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> Sorry. I would say um yeah, I think as as Steven says, it's not necessarily going to be the lift that people think it is for the team if there's 2,000 fans in who can't clap or uh, they can clap, they can't shout or whatever the rules are. Yeah, um, I, It's going to be a long, long way before um, we feel like we're anywhere close to, to normal. Um, interestingly, last night with the Olympiacos game, um, our picture editor messaged me after City's goal and said... Um, you know the pl- the players' goal celebrations are terrible. You can never get a good shot of them kind of celebrating anymore because, and and it's like, well, yeah, because there's no one to celebrate with. <laughs> it's just them. It just feels like a a training ground game or something. So the uh, the celebrations has really taken taken a a dive. I'm sure there's a you know a, a long read that someone can do on how celebrations have dipped in uh, in the lockdown, but. It's there, so yeah, it's obviously a positive that some fans can return to the ground, but it's it's not going to make too much difference, I wouldn't have thought.
3: Yeah, and it will be will, will be City fans for a while anyway, cause of because uh, of restrictions in Manchester. Um... Let's let's take some questions from the audience to finish. Uh, Alan Thompson on the emails asks, is there any point to Guardiola extending his contract by two years if, A, the club isn't going to spend big to overhaul the squad like in 2017, or B, he's going to stick with the same sorts of tactics that he has in the last two seasons that's seen as easier to play against
2: than at any other point during his time as manager? Stephen, what do you reckon? Um, B, I don't think it's the tactics that are a problem. I think it's a lack of quality. Um, and A, I think City are going to overhaul the squad. So, um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> yeah. I do think City will spend big. Um, and I think the reason the tactics aren't working is because we've lost plays that make the tactics work. I mean, that's obviously a poor... That's not an excuse. That's obviously poor planning to an extent. You know, obviously... But then I guess no one thought it was going to be easy replacing four of Manchester City's most important players of all time. And by I say that, I know two are still at the club in Fernandinho and Aguero, but I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that Fernandinho is very much on his last legs. Aguero might not be, but I think it's fair to say Aguero is obviously approaching something close to the end of his you know, time at Man City. Silver company gone, you know, so it was always going to be very, very difficult. Um, and obviously I think the plan is to replace them. We've kind of started doing that with a couple of them. Um, but I think City will splash big uh in you know, over the next couple of transfer windows. And um and I think Guardiola isn't gonna change his principles that I've seen him be one of the most successful managers ever in the history of the game. And um and I think he's absolutely right not to, because we've already seen as well, occasionally in spells, that there is it's not like these tactics are never working at any minute at any moment in the game. We've still seen a bit of football every now and then where we've seen for example, twenty minutes against Leeds at the start of the season. 20 minutes against Leeds, I thought we looked like the old man City. And we were breaking teams down. And then, obviously, the energy dropped off and the intensity dropped off. And that's a conviction, a fitness thing, and maybe not having just the quality to carry on. But I, I just, I don't think you just throw everything out that you've learned over the years just because you have a um, you know, bad year or two. Um, yeah. And I think he's right for that, personally. Yeah. Uh
3: Simon, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in the next question as well because it's kind of on the same lines. Uh Gareth Smedley on the emails asks, uh, do you think Guardiola's contracts extension makes Lionel Messi joining more likely? Can he have an impact in the Premier League at his age? I did a bit of Googling, he's 33 at the moment, it will be 34 at the start of next season. So if he signs in the summer, it would be he'd be 34 in his first city season.
4: Um yes, Guardiola's signing an extension does make Messi joining more likely, and yes, of course, he can still have an impact in the Premier League. Um, you know we've been talking about City not being able to create chances score chances um, Messi can do both I know you know there's a bit of chatter at the moment about um, is he in decline etc etc um, he's still the best player in the world um, and he would be an asset a, a, a huge asset to the team as well as being a very big asset to the the City football group um, and I think Guardiola Uh, Touching on Alan's question a bit, Guardiola remains a big asset in in the transfer market because players want to come and play with what they see as the best manager in the world. Um, So, I mean, City are delighted to have him because if anyone is going to sort of rebuild the team and keep ideas fresh, he's one of the best bets around. Um, But also, you're more likely to be able to bring in the players that you want to bring in, including Messi, if Guardiola is there.
3: Yeah. Uh, final question for the show comes from Blue Car on Twitter. Uh, he asks, if you could sign mm. one player from City's past to fix the issues they've got in this team, who would you pick and why? So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw this to the
2: City fan. So it's over to you, Stephen. David Silva, young David Silva. <laughs> I, I genuinely as simple as that. He changes everything for me. Um, a young David Silva, once again, makes us probably have the most intelligent midfield in the Premier League. And I, I honestly believe the, the, the problems of Guardiola's side at the moment. Uh, A great Guardiola side has to have a great midfield and I don't think we currently had that. Um, I think we have previously had probably the best midfield in the world with Fernandino at his peak, um, David Silva playing the best football of his career arguably under Guardiola for those two seasons Um, and Kevin De Bruyne as well being phenomenal. So I think the balance is totally gone and I think having David Silva back in the team would get us us flowing. Not David Silva last season was obviously on his way out a little bit. I'm on about, you know, David Silva, a young one, basically you can do everything he yeah. did in the seventeen eighteen season, <laughs> or get Carlos Tevez in, get him running around like a mad thing, and getting everyone going and scoring loads of goals and being absolutely uh, you know insane. Because I love Carlos Tevez, um, you yeah. would be interesting. I uh, <laughs> I, I I'll go on then Simon. I was going to
3: say make the case for uh, for for bringing in Christian Nagoi or Joey Barton or Claudio Reyna or someone like that.
4: <laughs> um, I, to, to be honest, I would agree 100% with uh, with steven's answer i think david silver of the 1718 season would yeah. would be perfect um, yeah. but definitely not david silver of the last two years
3: Yeah, unfortunately. Right, so that's it for this week's episode of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. It really does help us out. If you'd like some extra Blue Moon Podcast, our Patreon show for backers is available. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and it's just $2 a month. This season have been bumper-long shows looking at the common links between City and their upcoming opponents. So this week's it's Burnley. And there's a free hour-long version as well from a few weeks ago. That's looking at the players that have played for both City and each of their Champions League opponents. Components. All the details for that are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Thanks also to my guest this week Stephen McInerney. It's been a pleasure, thank you. Tell everyone where you can get, uh, you're, you're all over YouTube, so where, where can people find you? Uh,
2: YouTube.com forward slash esteemed company with a K, the pun.
3: Yep. lovely stuff. Uh, and uh, Manchester Evening News is Simon Bakowski.
2: Thank you very much. Uh,
3: I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. Take care.